We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm proud of the way this team played. Now, can we play a lot smarter? Absolutely. But I'll take a team that'll fight over a team that won't, that'll sit back and take it any day of the week and bring on the next team. So that's how I look at it. Give me a team that's got some fight and will compete to the very end, right, wrong, or indifferent, no matter how good the officiating is or whatever. Makes no difference to me. I'll take a team with some competitive fight and some spirit. 17 penalties, ridiculous? Absolutely. 100% is ridiculous. And so you say what you want, but I'll, I'll take a team that'll fight. I'm proud of this team, and we'll keep fighting, and eventually we'll find a way to win. Eventually we'll find a way to eliminate penalties. Well, another week, another disappointing Bills home game, and yet another dead spin article about delinquent behavior at the Ralph. This time, some clown with a painted-on Tyrod jersey and his girl decided that it was a good idea to start blowing rails of coke in the stands at the game. Seriously? How's about I cut us up a couple more monster rails for us young bloods? <laughs> According to Deadspin, they're calling for a full-blown orgy by week 12. Apparently, Ralph Wilson Stadium has become the home of sex, drugs, and poorly executed football. I'm Drew Gear. This is Chris Kruger, and this is the Rock Pile Report. 
Our intro featured Kenny Albert and Daryl Johnson from Fox Sports with this game, with the calls from the game, and that was Rex Ryan from BuffaloBills.com, the post-game show, talking about our penalties. And Jesus, were there some penalties. We were two off our uh, team record. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to hear football cliches, excuses. I don't want to hear any of that bullshit. I want wins, okay? Sadly, many of those, many of those penalties were deserved. <laughs> you know... You watch the play, and it's maddening to see a guy who's a backup guard holding, just holding his ass off. And after the game, Corey Graham and Kyle Williams were willing to speak on that fact. Dumb penalties, situations you just got to shut up sometimes. Um, so it's one of them situations we can't afford to do it, and we can't spot teams all those yards, and we can't – just got to be more disciplined, man. It, it's very it's disappointing. We have to play smarter and be better to take ourselves out of situations that we got into today. You know, like I said, there, there's, there were some things that were provoked today that weren't provoked in New England. It's, it's all lip service to me at this point. I've watched our team go out there and play like a borderline college team when it comes to discipline and the way they conduct themselves. Our personal fouls are unacceptable. Don't take those. Don't, don't hit guys late. Don't give the refs a reason to throw a flag at you. Now that you've been flagged this many times, they're looking at you. They're going to. Disappointment, it's to bounds. A mediocre defense came into our house and completely shut down our offense. And then this just flurry of penalties finished the job. We struggled to manufacture points or even move the ball consistently the entire day. The first half was... was was weak with all those three and outs. You know, I would assume Greg Roman would think after the second, third drive, we got to do something different. Miller, McCoy, and Watkins all need to get their asses back here ASAP because clearly our offense can't function without them. You watched Carlos, and he just didn't have that explosiveness to him. And it almost makes me question when in the game his concussion happened because you saw him in the second half, and he just didn't had no pop to his game. There was none of it. That explosiveness that he had week one just wasn't there. No, he's been explosive, I think, the first three weeks. But the, you know, this game, he had a concussion at some point in the game. I just, I just don't understand it. And then the, the most insulting part of the entire thing is to hear that, you know, from Dan Graziano at ESPN, Coughlin flat out told his players to just focus on their game, focus on their assignments, because the Buffalo Bills were going to beat themselves with penalties and mental mistakes. And we proved them right. We walked right into it. Yeah, we did. And even uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was allegedly provoking us, and he allegedly punched Duke Williams and got fined for it today. It just goes to show you that they don't see everything. Yes, they're calling penalties on us. You as an NFL player have to know that the microscope is now on us. You know what I mean? Once, once you earn a reputation for the team that cheats the most, the refs are going to watch you, and you're going to get called for a lot more things, things that probably didn't happen, things that might, you know, could, could go either way. You're going to see a lot more flags. Well, I mean, I swear some of these guys are going to get car- – these referees are going to get carpal tunnel. They're going to be suing us by the end of the year because they have carpal tunnel for reaching for so many flags. Well, this is the most penalties that they've called in NFL history through four weeks of the season. That is true. And I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of first-time, a lot of first-time crews. Just let them play. 
Let them play. But we have to go into our games knowing that. We have to. I'm sorry, but it's not an excuse that I'm willing to tolerate. I don't want to hear about, oh, this penalty or that penalty costs us the game. I don't... It, it doesn't mean anything to me. The fact is, is that some team came into our house and kicked our ass for four quarters. Yeah, we did. Have, well, we did have a penalty on the Tyrod touchdown run. We had a penalty on the Chuck Clay touchdown pass in the fourth. Uh, we were stopped fourth and one because Tyrod, you know, wanted to take all his time to throw the ball to Bob Woods. I thought that was a wonderfully designed play, and I don't, I don't think Tyrod got rid of the ball quick enough, and then Carpenter missed the field goal. So that's that's 24 points I just spoke of. But, you know, what can you do? Being in the stands was wholly in and of itself maddening to watch all this going on down in the field and just just dumbfounded. They took the crowd right out of the game early, and, we, and our offense gave us no reason to get back into it. I tried. I tried rallying the people around me to get loud, get crazy, and def- no one wanted any part of it. People were sitting. One of the most damning things that I remember from the game was sitting there in my seat and hearing people yell at the two Giants fans, one of them sitting in front of me and one of them sitting next to me, who were standing throughout the course of the game cheering their team on. And people were getting on them, you know, throwing stuff at them, telling them they needed to sit down and shut up. The fact is, is they were doing what we would be doing if we were winning. People, people get angry. That's one thing I'll never understand about how the, how the rock pile and how seating in general works. We criticize away fans for doing the thing that we would be doing if our team was winning. <laughs> they, they, they're excited. They stand up. They want to cheer on their team. I can't hate them for that. I cannot hold that against them. It's just we should have done more. We should have done more early is the problem. We came, again, another game where they took us just like the Patriots game. They came at us quick. They hit us in the mouth early, and we never recovered. And Eli had a Quicker release time than Brady had against us, getting the ball out of his hand. But he didn't have – he had, like, less than half the yards that Brady did. It just goes to show you how talented that Patriots team is. I, at the end of the day, Brady – for as much as no one wants to talk about it, Brady provided the blueprint, okay? Quick passes. You cannot amass a defensive line like ours and not expect people to take notice. So you know what they do? They avoid it. Any smart coordinator worth his paycheck is going to say, okay, what can I do to stay away from the strength of their team, which is their defensive line? Oh, I know. I'll just quick passes. Most of my plays will get run out of the shotgun. Most of the runs that the Giants had success on on Sunday were out of the shotgun. And you called for that last week. I called for that last week, and that's what they had to prepare for, and yet it caught them with their pants down because that's what did most of the damage were runs out of the shotgun. There, were no, there weren't that many sacks. There weren't that many pressures because of the fact that every co- – and I guarantee you next week we're going to see a ton – this weekend we're going to see a ton of it with Tennessee. We're going to see a ton of shotgun passes. Why? Because it helps keep the quarterback clean. He gets a quicker view of his receivers. He doesn't have to worry about dropping back. It completely nullifies our defensive line. So now you got to look at what, what our defense is without that D-line. Well, I thought with our, with our pass defense, I thought Eli Manning early on in the game was going after Gilmore instead of Darby. No one's going after Darby because they've already learned. That's a bad idea. It's a poor choice to go against Darby. 
The fact is, is that they came into the game with a game plan. They stuck to it and they executed it well. We did nothing to disrupt that. And at the same time on offense, we couldn't keep. You're telling me going into the fourth quarter. I think going into the fourth, it was still sixteen to three. Yeah. Because we missed that field goal. Yeah. You mean to tell me that you are? It's like in slow pitch softball. You cannot win a game in slow pitch softball if you don't score more than five six runs. You shouldn't win that game. And in the NFL, you probably shouldn't win a football game if you don't score more than 21 points. So the fact is, is we our defense, for as much as I'm bagging on them, held their ground and held them to 16 points. Our offense managed three points through three quarters. That's pathetic. And then it wasn't until late in the second half that we started getting Chuck Clay involved in the offense. And it seemed like he was wide open almost every throw. How about this? How about this? Can we talk about this for a second? Actually, you know what? This leads us right into our hero and zero of the week. First off, hero of the week. It was hard to pick one, but if I had to say that anybody on our team deserved it, it's our boy Charles Clay. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. Charles Clay was, t- he, he, coming out of the second half, they were looking at him. Early and often, as soon as the second half, every, I felt like everything they threw his way, even designed plays to get him open, plays he wasn't supposed to be where he was just a safety valve. He was open and he made the, the most of it. Nine catches for 111 yards. He fell two yards shy of the best yardage total by a tight end ever in Bill's history. Set by Pete Metzler in 1992. Big red. With 113. He was solid. And I don't give a shit what anyone says. He had a great route run. He turned around. It was a little hook route. Came back after the sticks. Caught the ball. And it was a bullshit pass interference call. Saying that he shoved the cornerback down. The guy slipped and fell. But that's the stuff that being a heavily penalized team is going to earn you. Now every play that we run is going to be scrutinized. So you have to be cleaner than that. But Charles Clay, my hero of the game, because the guy stepped up. Over 100 yard receiving and a touchdown from the tight end position isn't something the Buffalo Bills are accustomed to. And if he can give us that during a quality effort from the rest of our team, that should be more than enough to turn any tide. That brings us to our zero of the game. And that award goes to Tyrod Taylor. How the mighty have fallen. There was no signal for T-Mobile there in in that stadium on Sunday. A week after being the hero, he's now my GOAT. I'll tell you why. Without Sammy Watkins on the field, they had no choice. Well, not no choice, but they had to spread the field kind of. They put receivers out there on passing plays knowing that no one was going to get, not knowing who was going to get doubled, I guess is what you would say. They put the receivers out there, and it was a crapshoot on every game. Who was going to draw that on every play? Who was going to draw that double? With Sammy out there, you know who's going to do it. You know he's going to drift. He's going to drift all the coverage away from everyone else who's going to open them to make plays. Instead, there was a lot of single coverage, a lot of man at the line, and yet he just failed to find anybody. I, I just I don't get it. I mean, he did have some uh, 
good throws that were dropped. There was one on the very first drive, a slant to Percy. Hit him right in the numbers, and he dropped it. And then I thought he hit a, had a pretty good dime on the pass to Chuck Clay on the sidelines that was picked off because that was in Chuck Clay's hands first, and it just went right through to the uh, linebacker. I, I get that, but at the end of the day, you are the quarterback of this team. I picture quarterbacks, I look at guys who are, <clears throat> when I think of a franchise quarterback, I think of a guy like Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers. I think of a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I think of a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. A guy who can sit back and say, okay, this isn't, today's not, today's not going the way we want it to, but don't worry because I'm going to put this on me and I'm going to make a play. I'm going to make a play happen and it's going to get us over this hump. You see it with Antonio Brown this week. Ben Roethlisberger this week, well, last week. Ben Roethlisberger was out. Michael Vick starts. Antonio Brown put up mediocre wide receiver numbers. Why? Because there's only one quarterback in football who knows Antonio Brown well enough to throw to him well when he's double and triple covered. He can still catch those balls. You just have to put it to where he can get it. But you need a quarterback who has the arm and the accuracy to do it. This week made me question Tyrod on that. It really did. I think it's going to... The question's still going to be there after this week because we're going into Tennessee, and we should beat Tennessee. The following matchup against Cincinnati is going to be the one to watch because they're undefeated as of right now. I'll tell you, it, it bothers me. It bothers me to see stuff like that when you have to worry. Because WGR put out a post, a fan poll, last week about before this game, this Giants game, about whether or not we should sign – Tyrod Taylor to an extension now before he becomes too expensive for us. Before he performs too well and we can't afford him anymore. I didn't know that there was somebody that's too expensive for Terry Pagula. Well, the thing that gets me is, this this is what I hate. People turn into lemmings about this kind of stuff. Oh my God, he played two good games and two kind of shitty games. So let's just chase him. But that they did, no one had any idea that this game was coming. But it was overwhelming, the number of people who were saying that, oh, we should sign him now to an extension before he outprices us. That's how you end up with Ryan Fitzpatrick that's signed to a $60 million contract. When somebody plays a great game, that's how you end up with Rob Johnson. Thank you. It's, it's too early to tell what he's going to be. and We need a whole season I'm not as gonna a body s- of work. I can't take anything away from my previous praise of him. But I'll say right now, I reserve the right to dog him about his performance last week. And he needs to earn my trust. He has to. As a fan, he has to earn my trust. How how about this? How much of Tyrod's performance do you blame on the play call from Greg Roman? I think his call, like you alluded to, he had guys open. He threw to guys. Guys dropped the ball. Guys didn't execute. People, and yes, sometimes he just there was guys open. He just didn't hit them. He just did not find them. But at the end of the day, this is on our quarterback. Someplace we've been before. It's not unfamiliar territory. I've watched a million Bills games like this over the course of the last fifteen years. This is what a Buffalo Bills team looks like. They've been who we thought they were. This week we made a couple moves. We cut Gay. We cut Gay and signed Billy Cundiff. 
I don't understand it. Gay was getting us touchbacks, and now we don't have a single kicker that can reach the end zone on a kickoff. What, what is it, Chris? What is it? I think it's, it's a message to Dan Carpenter. Get it together, or you're going to get cut. Cut? He's five for seven. Why don't you turn? Okay, how about this? Why don't we bring in Josh Scobie for a workout, too? Because I'll tell you what, that, that trade worked out real well for the Steelers. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I bet you they'd give us a fourth-round pick for, for Carpenter right now. <laughs> I, I, still, I think Carpenter's one of the better field goal kickers in the, uh, in the league. They didn't have, you don't have Gay kicking field goals because he has the leg to get it out of the end zone, but he doesn't have the accuracy to you know, kick it from 50. I don't know. The whole thing just, I get it. Maybe they're trying to motivate Carpenter. I, the whole thing's stupid to me. And then we went out and signed Denarius Moore. All of you Bills fans out there will remember him as the wide receiver from the Fitzmagic Oakland comeback game from 2011 as the wide receiver that couldn't be covered by anyone. We let him run wild through our secondary that day. But that might actually be the last time he had any NFL relevance. Am I wrong? Who's heard of, Den- Who's heard of Denarius Moore? Not me. He was on my, well, you know what? I have. He was on my fantasy team for one part of uh, one season. And that's but, why you lose. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you yeah. don't win. Yeah. But oh. that, that makes you question how serious is Sammy's calf injury that they had to sign Denarius Moore. That makes you question why I don't play fantasy football with you. <laughs> this this smells a lot like them just trying to fill a spot more than adding any true value to our roster. Why isn't Bryce Brown the first phone call we make? Someone explain this to me. We're down two running backs. You could go out and get the guy who was there through all of training camp with you. And instead, they decide to bring in a, a do-nothing wide receiver. Boom Heron. Oh, boom, Aaron. He's, he's the final of this week's signings. And I'll be honest, I hate Ohio State. I detested Ohio State before they beat Alabama to go to the championship game. I've pretty much hated Ohio State ever since I was in college and started caring about college football. When they beat Ken Dorsey in Miami? To me, it's just they play in a garbage division. They play in a trash division. They don't have, like, their conference is trash. They play no, they, what do they play, two ranked teams a year? Michigan State. Michigan. Michigan should be better now that they've got a. Uh, who, who, who else do they play that's any good? Meanwhile, Alabama plays the toughest. We play in the SEC. Everyone's ranked every year. Yep. <laughs> So if you come out of the SEC, you got there because you beat all these teams. Meanwhile, these guys get to cakewalk. You see, this season, Ohio State has tripped and stumbled their way through a bunch of unranked teams that they barely beat. Yeah. I can only hope that at the end of the season when they play Sparty and when they play when they play Michigan State and when they play Big Blue Michigan that they just fall flat on their faces because they're not a good football team. They're Cardale Jones, for all the hype about him, he's big, but he can't read the defense. You saw it last week in Indiana. 
That's why yeah. the Hoosiers almost beat him. The guy was rolling out, looking, ducking. He's ducking sacks, and he's bobbing and weaving in the pocket. But at the end of the day, if you're not a good quarterback, you can't hit those open receivers in stride. So yeah. he doesn't throw the ball. He just keeps pump faking. His NFL draft stock is dropping. Yeah. And to all the all, all the people out there who said, "Oh, the Bills would have drafted Cardell Jones," if he's, that's that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You keep Cardell Jones the hell away from my football team. I don't ever want to see him in a Bills uniform. But I'll say this, boys and girls: Boom Heron, <laughs> Boom Heron. All in all, at least we're not the Dolphins. I alluded to it at the beginning of last week. I talked about it after our just curb stomping of the Dolphins that he was already coming under fire. And after one more bad performance, he was going to be done. Well, this week, the Finns made it official and they cut Joe Philbin. What? (laughs) What an idiot. Oh, what a loser. The guy has been the epitome of mediocre. And so is his roster. I mean, come on. His entire tenure with the team has been nothing but average. Painfully average. And yeah, as a Bills fan, that sounds crazy to hear me say it, but if you've got an owner who's willing to spend money on free agents and you go out and you buy all these guys and end up with nothing. They bought uh, Indomitian Sue with, with a bad contract. Danelle Ellerby played 10 games for <laughs> That's an exaggeration, but Janelle Ellerby wasn't good while he was there. They got him from the Ravens thinking they were getting a deal. and They, they promoted their tight ends coach. I don't even know who, what his name is to the head coach. Dan something. Dan, uh, Dan Campbell? Dan Campbell, I think. Well, did you hear who uh, the Dolphins had reached out to? Oh, to, Shiano to all these. Shiano. They reached out to Mike Smith, former Falcons coach. And they reached out to Jim Schwartz, who said, "I'm good. I don't want to. I don't wear teal and orange." <laughs> Look at Joe Philbin. Even his stock photos on the team's website remind. I mean, look at it. His his picture reminds you of someone who should be working a kiosk at the mall, or the guy at your family reunion who's telling everybody about the new chiropractor he switched to and about how he's really happy with his decision. The guy doesn't look like. A Football coach, and he hasn't ever acted like one, carried himself like one, run his team like one. So you think that uh, Aaron Rodgers made Joe Philbin? <laughs> I think he may have. I mean, I just, I think anyone who follows follows football had to see the writing on the wall for that guy. Because you can't take a team that the owner's pumping millions of dollars into and see them fall flat on their face and have him expect to just keep that going. Well, what about the last? practice they had on Saturday before the game in London where Tannehill was telling the practice squad members to enjoy their practice squad paycheck and Philbin was telling the practice defense to go easy on Tannehill. I'll tell you what, my, my feeling about all this is that they were trying to it's the same thing with them picking up Indomitian Sue for as much money as they paid for him and then let players go and didn't address other areas of need. They're trying to wish they would. They would. They were trying to when they extended Joe Philbin last year, and now they're suddenly firing him after handing him a bunch of guaranteed money. They were trying to wish their way to a good football team. They thought, hey, maybe if we just give Joe a little bit more money, 
maybe he'll just get the team to do something else. Well, you can wish in one hand and crap in the other and see which gets filled first. <laughs> Their defense has been atrocious. In most fantasy leagues, they're the 32nd ranked team. They're leading in most of the negative statistics. They're 30th in total defense. And they, the team is only 25th in total offense. They're literally a team that thought they could overcome their weaknesses in the trenches with skill players. They're finding that they, that doesn't work. You need solid linebacker play at the NFL level. And if you put out, like we alluded to, much like they found out, if you put in other teams' third-round draft picks that you traded away your first-round draft pick, for first Shepard, Shepard. If you've got guys like that, Shepard floating around as a starter on your team, he's not a quality football player. He doesn't actually deserve to be on the field. And plus, it doesn't help that going back to the defensive line, and Damakon Sue is not even follow, following the defensive playbook. Yeah, that's that, that's neither here nor there. The fact is, is they should adopt his type of play because I feel like he's the only person out there who might know what a defense looks like. He might have been the only one who actually saw a defense once in his life and could recap for the rest of them how it's supposed to work. I would put that, yeah, I could see that. Damakon Sue and Bryce McCain. Bryce McCain? Bryce McCain couldn't read the first line on the eye chart at the optometrist's office. That guy's an idiot. Get him out of here. He shouldn't even be playing NFL football. I, I, I need a, I need a beer. Excuse me. So, now that we've talked about our uh, division nemesises and how they are, well, in shambles, we're going to digress this week from the AFC East roundup and. If you watched football last week, you know that the Jets just stomped a mud hole in the Dolphins over there in jolly old England. I mean, it wasn't pretty. They they ate them up. The Dolphins looked bad for most of the game. I watched a lot of it while I was... Somebody had a TV in the tailgate area? Oh, yeah, the guys in the Dodge Ram next to us. We, uh... I may have been a little inebriated, so I remember bits and pieces, but from what I saw, I wasn't good. No. and this let's, I remember about, laughing a lot. That's all I remember. Let's not forget that this is the second year in a row a coach has been fired after the London game. Last year, Dennis Allen of the Raiders got fired. Note to NFL coaches, don't suck across the pond. Yeah, Rex. <laughs> Couple and then, weeks. of course, the Patriots had a bye week, so there's really nothing to talk about. They're still obviously... There's still obviously Donkey Kong here in our division, and there's nothing anyone can do about that. So instead, we've decided I've decided to replace it with a, uh, you know, we've reached the four-game mark. Every quarter poll, I'm going to take just a few minutes and talk about the reasons why we are, and also the reasons why we are not a playoff team. Listen here, you beautiful I'm about to f*** you up with some truth. I'm about to hit you guys with all the reasons why the Buffalo Bills in 2015 are not a playoff team. First off, this is three straight years starting at 2-2, two and two, but this one feels different. Our, in years past, I'm used to going to the game and watching our defense dominate and watch us lose an elite field goal. 
or watch us lose because our quarterback threw a boneheaded interception. Something along those lines. A close game that eventually gets blown open by a bad play from our offense. This year, it's been completely flipped. In both of our wins, our offense dominates. And then our, in our losses, our defense has been almost non-existent. Or we've committed so many penalties that it's impossible to come back from it. I mean, think about this for a second. We're 22nd in passing defense and total yards allowed. And we're third in rushing. I'm surprised that we're that high for, for rushing. Because no one runs the ball on us. It's short passes all day long, and they use the run to set up the they use the run out of the shotgun just enough to give it a little bit of variance so that they can set up another pass. It's killing us. That has that statistic has to even out, or else teams are just gonna eat us alive. All this talk about us being an elite defensive unit is going right out the window. We're also tied for 30th in touchdowns allowed. Think about this. Our defense has allowed 10 touchdowns, which is the same number as the Chicago Bears defense. That's a disgrace. Let that sink in for a second. Second off, our defensive coordinator and head coach don't have a way to get past this quick passing game and the running out of the shotgun, which I alluded to earlier. I called it that we were going to see it because the Patriots made hay with it. And guess what? Everyone who does it, they they eat us alive with it. You know what? Speaking on that, I was at uh, BillsZone.com, a great fan forum to uh, express your Bill's opinion on. And somebody had, had mentioned of Dennis Thurman is just going to ride Rex's coattails because we all focus on Rex when it comes to the defense, and you don't really hear anything about – what Dennis Thurman is doing. Bring back Jim Schwartz. Let him and Rex work together. Because I bet you the two of them, yeah, they may not have the same defensive philosophies, but I bet you their bastard child would be pretty sweet. Yeah, I, yeah, I wish Schwartz was still here. <laughs> the 12th man has been disappointed twice in three games now. As we've lost two home games while setting a <laughs> Think about this. Two home games, and we've set a record for Bills penalties in franchise history through four weeks. And we're on pace for 184 accepted penalties. Now think about this. Those two home losses, we play so many road games late in the season. The fact that we've already had three home games and we've lost two of them, that's going to come back to bite us in the ass. Anyone who, any, anyone who knows how that fumble in Kansas City last year felt, watching it happen, I knew that that was going to be a loss that came back to haunt us. And it was. And we it went 9-7. and seven. We went 9-7 and seven and barely missed the playoffs, but we missed it. These two road losses at home strike me as the kind of losses that later on in the season you look back at and say, hey, shit, we should have had that one. I feel like we have two or three of those games every year the last, I don't know, three or four years we've had those. Yeah. Two of them against Kansas City in back-to-back years. The Jeff Tool pick and then... The Jeff Tool pick in particular was one of the most crushing things I've experienced in a long time. I remember being so excited. 
pumped. I'm like, oh my God, Jeff Tool threw a huge touchdown pass. He might actually be a quarterback. And look, we're on the doorstep. We're about to punch another one in. And all of a sudden, people were running towards our end zone. And I just wasn't wasn't able to wrap my brain around what I was seeing for a second. And then there was a bunch of Chiefs, Chiefs players dancing in our end zone. And I almost threw up a little bit. Because they were, what, 9-0 and at the time? They were undefeated. Yeah, I think they were undefeated at that point. And we had them on the ropes. Yeah, you, and I also remember... They, they Muhammad Ali'd us. They didn't have an offensive touchdown the entire game, and they still beat us. And they still won the game. I feel like we might have something like that against Houston later this season. That might be one of our games. Also, injuries. Just ravaging our team right now. Carlos Williams isn't practicing with a concussion. Marquise Gray's on the IR. We're calling up all kinds of random tight ends, and we signed Boom Heron. And after that game against the Giants, Miller needs to get healthy in a hurry because Urbic, Urbic sucks. Okay, I get it. He's a body. He can play center. He can play guard. Everyone likes him. I would rather call up some guy from the practice squad that we've never seen before than give Urbic one more game after seeing him during that Giants game. What about moving Quanjo inside? Would you do that? I would move Quanjo inside. I would try anybody. Urbic is done. He's done. There's no. I'm sorry. I'm not a patient guy. Last year, you were below average, even when they put you in the starting rotation. And now you're going to come back in as an injury fill-in and just completely screw me every time you get the opportunity to with untimely holding calls and just all kinds of bullshit that I don't want to deal with. Get out of here. You're a guard. We'll go find somebody else to be our backup guard. That guy sucks. Get him out of here. The fact is, is our offense is spotty and inconsistent. We're not built to come from behind in games, and you can see it. We're not. That's not our offensive philosophy. Roman's not comfortable with it. You know? Watching them struggle through through the first half of the Patriots game and that entire Giants game, it just gives other team more tapes, more tape on how to shut Greg Roman's offense down. He's got to be better than this. He's got to find a way to manufacture points. I'm for everyone out there who thinks that a first round quarterback is going to save the Buffalo Bills, and that's going to be what it is. We're going to draft a guy, and he's going to be great, and. I see them taking an offensive lineman in the first round next year because that's how poorly ours has played this season. I would see that too, of offensive lineman in the first round. And uh, who's a quarterback that you that you like? Was it out of Stanford? I like <laughs> I like Kevin Ogan. I like him. I do. He hasn't played well his senior year. He hasn't. But I still think he has the tools to be a decent quarterback. But I don't know. The more I watch of them, the more I come away not that impressed. It's, uh, it's, it, college football's a weird thing like that. But I'll continue watching it just because I want to see who it might be. But I think, if anything, we take an offensive lineman in the first run and a quarterback in the second because whoever it is is going to sit for a while. That much is apparent. I think that's how you need to look at uh, building quarterbacks because, you know, as, as much as Jekyll and Hyde uh, uh, that we've been – over the course of the season, you know, there there have already been articles about like uh, Tyrod sitting in Baltimore, and now he's getting his chance. And do other NFL teams handle their future quarterbacks like that, where they sit for 
you know, two, three, four years, and then they get inserted in the lineup. Because a lot of quarterbacks coming out of college now have no clue how to read, like, a cover two defense. I talked about it last week. Bryce Petty didn't know how to identify the Mike linebacker. That is an essential if you're going to be a quarterback at the NFL level. Marcus Mariota is making hay. He's making hay this year. He's doing really well for himself. But first overall pick, Jameis Winston, is just atrocious. He's he's tied he's a for the gunslinger. Lead. You know who else was a gunslinger? Is J.P. Lawson that didn't make him a good football player. No, so was Brett Favre. I don't want to talk about Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mostly because he sent me a picture of his wiener. I'm sorry, that's not true. That's false. If his lawyers are listening, no, <laughs> don't sue me. No, Winston's been terrible. He was terrible on Sunday. <laughs> He was terrible. He's been terrible through four weeks, which is why the, the why their record is what it is. They're not a good football. Them versus Houston, that game was almost unwatchable. You saw two games with two quarterbacks who were just unbelievably bad through that entire. Neither one of them actually wanted to win the football game. It was literally whatever was going to come down to the last field goal. That's, he has to be not on the same page with. Uh, Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans, because I thought that that's a good situation to be coming into as the number one quarterback, and you have two stud receivers like that, and they just haven't worked out their chemistry yet. I want to take a take a moment and let everyone know that if you hear all the police sirens in the background, I do not live in a bad area. This is Depew, New York. I don't know what the hell's going on outside my apartment, but there's <laughs> this is atypical for this neighborhood. <laughs> Anyways, back to the reasons why we are not a playoff team. Penalties are killing us. Literally choking the life out of this football team. We have more than anyone else in our division. More than anyone else in the league. Two of our losses are tied directly to the number of penalties we've taken. (laughs) We're inflicting a lot of this on ourselves. And whether you can call it fair, call it not fair. Say the refs have our... Oh, the refs have it out for us. I don't give a damn. The fact is, is that football... And as a coach, Rex Ryan needs to get this shit under control. ASAP. He's got to get it fixed. It's just going to get worse. And then uh, people will want him fired. And then people will want EJ to start. And then people will want Greg Roman to be fired. And people will want Jim Schwartz to come back. And all that nonsense. <laughs> I, find it, I find it strange that you went from Roman and Rex being fired to Jim Schwartz returning. People, I, there are people out there that would rather have Jim Schwartz as the D.C. over Dennis Thurman. Well, Dennis Thurman can kiss my ass. I don't care about him. I mean, I don't care about him, but I just find it odd that that's where your mind went on that. You went straight to Jim Schwartz. I feel like you have a man crush. I, he, his, he, <laughs> it, was, it was his silver quaff of hair. Yeah, it sold you. It that drew was, you in. It was one of the, that was one of the best defenses <laughs> Defenses our uh, our team will ever have. Oh. oh, and finally, our second running back is concussed. McCoy has a new hamstring tear. All this touted running back depth. Remember when Rex Ryan made the quote that he didn't need Ray Rice because our running back depth was too good? Well, right now it reminds me of the show MASH. <laughs> Hopefully Carlos can get cleared by the doctor to play this week or else Sierra Wood and Booby will be our only active running backs come game day. And Boom Heron. And Boom Heron. Do not leave out Boom. Hopefully Carlos comes back from the doctor with some good news. 
Sudden thought there is no better doctor in the world of medicine than Dr. Scholl. <laughs> Dr. Scholl's. <laughs> all right, so now that I've walked you all to the ledge of depression, I'm going to draw you back in here. And I'm about to give you the reasons why I think we're still a playoff football team. First off, we're 2-2. Two and two. As of today, we're tied for the sixth spot with Oakland. And we win that one by strength of schedule because Oakland hasn't, I mean, Oakland got their two wins. I give them credit for it, but two of their wins came over, team that, came over teams that weren't anything special. Didn't they beat Baltimore? Yeah, they beat Baltimore and they beat... Uh, but Baltimore is, hasn't been playing as well as, as well as they've had over the last couple seasons. They beat Baltimore and they beat uh, the Browns. So you mean to tell me that remember when we were talking about divisions and we talked about what a tire fire their division was? Yep. So they beat two teams out of one of the worst divisions in football. Ooh. I don't know. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm making all kinds of faces at him right now. The fact is, is that doesn't impress me. The teams tied at two and two with us are weak. Indy, Oakland, San Diego, and Pittsburgh. I like us over almost all of them except for San Diego, and that's just because of their quarterback. Their defense hasn't done anything special. Their offensive line hasn't been good. Their rushing attack has been weak. I feel like San Diego and Pittsburgh offenses just haven't been producing the way that they used to. And Indianapolis's D is atrocious. Their offensive line is in shambles. They can't move the ball the way that they need to be able to, and they can't protect Luck. And Luck has a bum shoulder. Yeah, so between all these things, none of those teams scare me. I'm sorry. I think the Buffalo Bills, you put us heads up against any of those teams, the only one that worries me is San Diego. And that's if we continue to just take, you know, 15 to 20 penalties a game. Right now, the New York Jets are ahead of us at 3-1. and one. But they've played four teams with a combined record of 5-11. and 11. Okay. The team that is beating us in the standings right now for that first wild card spot has only played bum football teams. They've got games. They've got games coming up. Pats away, Raiders away, and then a home open, a home game against Washington. Who, in all honesty, at two and two, their defense looks tough. I'm sorry, their defense looks pretty strong. There's going to be opportunities for us to catch up with them. Although I do wish that we were playing the same type of defense they've been playing. Speaking of schedules, ours gets a little bit easier as we play a lot of underwhelming quarterbacks. As far as I can tell, that's been our Achilles heel. It's, but we know that. The Bills' defense can play well against quarterbacks who aren't all-stars. The moment we play a guy who's won a Super Bowl, it's over. They'll throw all over us for 285 yards and three touchdowns and make it look routine. We play a lot of quarterbacks who haven't really proven anything at the NFL level. Mariota, so, Dalton, and Bortles, the next three. So for as bad as we've been against the pass, our defense, you saw it, third and rush defense, 20th and pass defense, we force teams to be one-dimensional. And what we tell you is if you can't throw the ball like Tom Brady or like Eli Manning on his best day, I tell, you're going to have a rough day in order I, to beat us. I would go one-dimensional, too, if I had A.J. Green as my receiver. That's the matchup that I'm going to be looking at. But I do think that this is going to be a boon for us against this slew of weak quarterbacks 
that we're going to – not weak because I guess Andy Dalton's playing some of his best best football. But for the most part, underwhelming quarterbacks. I mean, think about you it. Don't Alex put, Smith you don't is put Andy Dalton in the top ten quarterbacks of the NFL. No. And when we come back from our bye week, think about this. It's Mariota, Dalton. Then we get Bortles. Then we have a bye week, and we come back with Ryan Tannehill. And Fitzmagic. And Fitzmagic. On a Thursday. And then thrown in there, we and get then, Brady again. And then Brady after Fitzmagic. And then Alex Smith. I think that's a little bit down the line. I think we play Houston before we play Kansas City. Oh, good. Houston, another team with a, with another team with a fantastic all-star quarterback. I used to have a man crush on Ryan Mallett. I'll admit it. I wanted the guy in our roster. But <sighs> watching him play, he's one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks to play football. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he has a mean play-action fake. But other than that, his accuracy is poor, and he just... It's like he's trying to row a boat with one oar. <laughs> I just... I... 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 I, uh, I, I enjoy the fact that these are the teams that we're going up against. Also, you want to talk about bright spots in the Buffalo Bills season? Ron Darby is on pace for the best rookie season of any cornerback of all time. Second-round pick. According to Pro Football Focus, Ron Darby, he's leading in the metric of passer rating allowed when they throw at him by a ridiculous margin. His number is 31.4. Now let's compare that to, think about this, Joe Hayden, Aqib Tlaib, Richard Sherman. Revis? Revis wasn't listed in the Pro Football Focus study that I was looking at, but in the article I was reading, (laughs) none of them, none of those three cornerbacks managed a rating of less than 50. Unless something really falls apart for Ron Darby, he's looking more and more like a shutdown cornerback. So to everyone out there who booed the draft, I remember I was kayaking. I missed the I missed the Bills draft picks because I was stuck in the woods. And when I got my phone and turned it on, when I came back, I had a million text messages from people talking about what how we blew the draft. Oh, we took another cornerback. You can never have enough cornerbacks. You can never have enough cornerbacks, especially when you draft a guy like this. Like this, who might actually be the answer? Think about it. When McKelvin comes back eventually, which he after week six he's eligible to come back and start practicing again. Which, considering how little we've heard about him, I'm assuming he's probably getting up to speed. He could come back and not have to be rushed back into the lineup. We could take our time with him, get him back up into conditioning, get him into all the things, and then start rolling him out there with our starters. I don't see McKelvin coming back and getting into the starting lineup. Whenever he comes back, he's going to be... Think he's, you think he's, he's not he's better than be, Roby? He's going to be a backup to Darby or, you know... Play. You don't think he's better than Roby? Well, Roby's only good in nickel coverage. Mm-hmm. So what if we put McKelvin as our nickel? If we ever... No, but I, I, I think it would nickel? be perfect for him because he's a fast-twitch athlete. He, the biggest knock on him is he's never been able to go deep and then locate the ball in the air. Well, guess what? As a slot receiver, how often do you have to go deep and try to locate the ball in the air? As a slot cornerback, I should say. Never. Never. So put him on their slot, slot receiver. We could shut 
team's third receivers down with that kind of coverage. If, if he's healthy, it's a thing I'm hoping for. It's a thing I assume will happen at some point. It's what I'm looking forward to. Also, teams at the beginning of the season that, you know, you looked at, you, you looked at the, at the beginning of the season, you looked at the preseason, you looked at the way the teams were stacked up, and you assumed, okay, these are going to be my competition for the wildcard spot. Right? The teams that are always there, the Steelers, the Ravens, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, the, the Chargers, they're all mixed in there. Right? Every one of them has started the season surprisingly slow. And some of them, I don't know if they're showing any signs of turning it around. Look, at Alex Smith leads the NFL in sacks taken right now. And their passing game still hasn't done anything impressive. If it's not Travis Kelsey, then what, Jeremy Macklin has one touchdown? Yeah, that's it. He's just got one. He has one. Kelsey's Smith's favorite target. <laughs> it's They're a team that's one and three, and the reason they're one and three is because they allow teams to make them one-dimensional on offense really quickly out of the gate. Their offense can't score. And then when their offense can't score, their offensive line can't protect Alex Smith when he tries to lead him back from a deficit. It's going to be crippling to their playoff chances if they lose any more games. You've got teams like the Steelers. No kicker. No ki- That kicker injury in that game against the Bills in the preseason, that came back to haunt them big on Monday night. You saw it. Scobie missed, <laughs> missed a field goal with time running out of the game. The Ravens come back and force overtime. The coach loses his faith in the kicker, has to go for it on every fourth down because he's and doesn't get it, and it ends up costing him the game because he doesn't trust the kicker. Side note, take that, Scott Dunley, in <laughs> your face. Oh. Do you think do you think that Vic will be able to get Pittsburgh some wins like solely on Vic's shoulders? He I don't think carries so. them to victory? I don't think so. I don't see a whole lot of wins coming from Michael Vick, and that's the problem is that if they – I mean, think about this. The, the defense, the secondary for the Ravens was soft. That's probably the softest of the defenses they'll play coming up. And it didn't, it didn't go well for him. So ultimately, something's going to have to happen there, and I don't, I don't see them coming out of that clean. I see them losing a couple more games before Roethlisberger comes back, and it might doom whatever playoff hopes they had. If he comes back, if if he comes back and they lose, let's say out of the next four games, he's expected to start. Well, he even rebuttaled that week seven's not when he's coming back. He said that they'll take it day by day and they'll pick it. So let's say he comes back week eight. He's been out four, five games, and out of those five, he's lost three. Like the team has lost three without him. You're already you're out. You're already a five loss team. Yeah. So what does that do for your chances? It's our chances for getting in the playoffs. Yeah, they're a tough spot. And then the best part is <laughs> the Steelers have to play the Chargers and the Chiefs. So in the next couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. So one of those teams is taking losses. Some of them have to lose at some point, which is ultimately going to help our cause you know, no matter who comes out on top. And then we talked about the Ravens earlier. They've struggled against everyone except for the worst, one of the worst defenses in football, which is the Steelers. It's the only time they ever got the ball moving on the ground. So now the fact that they lose Steve Smith, you know, that hurts their receiver core. Now they you tra- got to rely on Marlon Brown. Marlon Brown. 
Yeah, you probably hit him on your fantasy team too. I did. (laughs) Oh, why don't we play fantasy football together? Oh, God. Ultimately, the Ravens don't have a whole lot going for them on offense. They've got no tight end help. They've got no wide receiver help. Their offensive line is not getting it done in the run game, and teams are keying on that and forcing Flacco to beat him with his arm, and he's not getting it done. Oakland has been a surprise so far, but ultimately their schedule is. They lost a trap game to Chicago last week. Okay, If that tells you anything of what they're capable of. Then they've got games against the Jets, Minnesota, and then down the stretch they play their whole division plus the Packers. So that's the, that's the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos again. And that's all in the last five weeks. My assumption is that at some point down, down the line here, they're going to come back to earth. I see them as a, as a much improved team from last year. I do. Because I, I like what they're doing. I like Carr. I obviously like Amara Cooper. Roll damn tide. But at the same time, I don't... I just don't think they're a playoff caliber team. I don't Not see yet. it. They're too young. And the other reason why I think that we're a playoff team is Greg Roman. He came close to getting my zero of the week, but he's proven that he's a capable coordinator in this league. And I feel like even with our diminished skill players, he's still going to be able to get other guys involved. Our offensive line is going to make it tough, but I like him to figure this out and get us back to winning football games. So don't lose faith, Bills fans, because we just might make it out of this thing in one piece. What do you look for on Sunday against... Tennessee, do you have like a matchup to watch? Yeah, our whole defense, our entire defense trying to stop the fact that Kendall Wright and Delaney Walker are the two most targeted, targeted players on the Titans team. I also have them all on my fan. I have them on almost every fantasy team I could get them on. Why? Because he's going to be throwing to them early and often. Expect to see a lot of shotgun. A lot of running out of the shotgun. A lot of four wide receiver sets because it's something that Tennessee does quite well. I watched it work against it worked against the Colts really well, and I think they're going to try it again against us because our secondary has proven we're the 22nd pass defense. They're going to try us in the passing game, and so they're going to have to stand up to this. Rex Ryan's going to have to get creative with his coverages and try to confuse his rookie quarterback if we're going to win this game. Rex has always done well against rookie quarterbacks. I expect uh, Mario to be super confused on some plays. I don't. You know what? The kid has proven that he can read a defense. And the thing is, they've been simplifying the offense for him to a point where, I mean, think about it. He's thrown, what, four, two, and two, so that's eight touchdowns in four weeks? He also played Tampa Bay. Okay. But... He hasn't turned the ball over a lot. That's the thing I look at. He was, I think, known for that in college, not to be a a, a turnover machine. And the biggest thing that I see, though, holding him back is an ankle injury. So I don't think you're going to see as much of the zone read, him taking off and running. I think you're going to see more of him in the pocket, which is why they're going to go shotgun most of their plays. A smart offensive coordinator would. That's exactly how I would attack our defense. And what about offensively for Buffalo? Offensively for Buffalo, I mean, that the defense, they've they've been playing well, but they've played, like you said, they played who? The Colts. They played the Colts, Tampa Bay, and Houston. Not exactly offensive juggernauts. I think 
that what we're going to have to try to do is find a way to impose our will with the running game in order to set up play action. That way we can get guys like Charles Clay and guys like Percy Harvin, single-covered, one-on-one matchups. We can get a lot of open guys running down the field. So with our running game this week, are we going to have – is it going to be running back by committee or do you feel – Oh, it's absolutely going to be running back by committee. My, I mean, I'd like to say Carlos Williams will be ready, but I haven't heard anything to that effect. So I'm going to assume – The way people are suing the NFL now over concussions, I doubt we'll see Carlos Williams play on Sunday. I assume it's going to be running back by committee with a bunch of guys that I've never heard of before. Except for Booby. Booby, we love you. <laughs> so what do you all think? Anybody out there, you have an opinion? Do you have anything you want to say? Anything you want to hear us talk about? Well, guess what? I want to hear about it. <laughs> okay? A surprising number of people out there have inquired about our ability here on the show to take call-ins. We're working on it. But until then, we can always record a Skype conversation and put it on the show if you're interested. So if you want to chat or if you have a point that you want to hear discussed or something you want to go over with us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Rockpile Report or on Facebook.com slash The Rockpile Report. That's all the time we got for tonight, guys. So until next time, I'm Drew Gear, and that's Chris Krueger, and this has been The Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.